0: their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day will be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, if you uh, listen to the news very often on uh, television, you see a lot of bad news and it seems like that's uh, all they can tell us about anymore is bad news and, and we'd like to hear some good news. Well, this morning there is uh, good news, uh, maybe as you've, uh, you know, tax day was just this past, you know, week, maybe you filled out your tax returns and you found out, hey, I'm getting. Good, right? That's good news. And remember, 10% belongs to the church, right? So you remember to give that, right? Maybe maybe uh, you heard from a, a grandchild uh, or a, a, a child that you're going to have a new grandchild. And that's good news. That's kind of exciting to hear those sorts of things. Maybe you were surprised to find that members of your family were, were coming to Gainesville to visit with you for Easter, and that was good news. Or maybe maybe you've seen the doctor recently and been ailing with some sort of physical issue and the doctor comes back and he says, well, you know, it, uh, you've got this and I understand why you're hurting with it, but there's some really good news. We can treat this and we can get you over it completely. And go, that is good news. There, there really is a lot of good news if we, if we look for it out there. But I, this morning I want to talk about what is really good news. In fact, it's a, since, since God created man, the announcement that we find in our text this morning is the greatest news that man has ever heard. We begin this text with uh, women going to the tomb of Jesus. He has been turned over. Um, he's had a mock trial of the Sanhedrin. They turn him over to the Romans and, and demands that, that he be crucified. These women have been following Jesus, and he's been kind to them. He's been good. He's treated them the way women weren't treated in those days. He treated them uh, as, as equals in the uh, kingdom of God. And he treated them with a great deal of respect and honor and love and showed them forgiveness for their sins. And, and now they had seen him just a few days earlier, being crucified on the cross and being put to death. And and so now, very early in the morning, they've, they've risen and they are taking spices to go to the tomb and anoint his body, and I'm sure there was much mourning on the way to the tomb. And we find in another gospel that as they're going to the tomb, they're wondering, how in the world are we going to roll that stone out of the way, that stone that's in front of the tomb? How are we going to get it out of the way? And so they're on their way mourning. And when they get to the tomb, they found that, well, the stone's already been rolled out of the way for them. They don't have to do that. But they wonder, why is it rolled away? And they go, and they look in the tomb, and there is nobody there. Nobody's in the tomb. It's it's gone. And while they're wondering about all of this, we see in our passage, these angels come, two beings, two individual angels come, and, and they tell them, Some interesting news. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? This is a place of dead people in this cemetery here. You're looking for Jesus, but he's not dead. He is risen. And the greatest news that they could ever have heard was that Jesus is risen from the dead. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Well, certainly this was good news to those ladies. And it was the greatest news I think that they ever could have heard. And I want you to know this morning, while you might not quite understand why it's the greatest news, I, I hope you will by the time we're gone here. It is the greatest news that you will ever hear anywhere. It's a lot better than uh, than uh, tax returns, uh, some return from your income tax. It might be hard to believe it's better than having more grandchildren. Um, it's better than any news that you can ever hear. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And so this morning I want us to uh, briefly uh, look at uh, this first resurrection morning, and I want us to consider uh, three points. You find them in your bulletin, in your outline there. It says, first of all, I want us to see the importance of the resurrection, and see maybe from its importance why it is such good news. And then I want us to look at the case for the resurrection, the fact that it really did happen. It's not just some farce that somebody made up. And then I want us to see the results of the resurrection. And if you're a believer in Christ, the results for you are tremendous. And this is good news. And so first of all, let's get to the importance of the resurrection. Now, I I think that the importance of the resurrection cannot be overstated. Uh, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave and walk around, then all we do in church is vain. We might as well go play golf on Sundays or go fishing or, or, or sleep in every Sunday morning. We might as well live our lives grabbing for all the pleasures we can in this life because when this life is over, that's all there is. We die and we return to the, to the dust and there is nothing more. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He goes on a little bit later and says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Founders of other religions, if you go and you you dig up their bones, it doesn't doesn't make any difference. If you go find the bones of Muhammad or, or Buddha or Joseph Smith or any of the rest, if you find their bones, it makes no difference to their religion, to their teachings. All of those religions' followers did die, and those who followed them will admit that they are dead. But I want you to know the very essence of Christianity is that Jesus though he was put to death by suffering an agonizing death on a Roman cross and suffering an agonizing death by feeling the wrath of God himself being poured upon him on the cross, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the pain and he knew death, but yet he conquered death by being raised again on the third day. In his book, Know Why You Believe, Paul Little says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is an interesting museum piece and nothing more. Another author named Michael Green writes, without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. The great church historian uh, Philip Shaft has written, the resurrection of Christ is emphatically a test question upon which Depends the truth or falsehood of the Christian religion. It is either the greatest miracle or the greatest uh, delusion which history records. If Christ did not come alive again from the dead, then death is the end of our existence. And we can say with the wise man, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But isn't it good news that the angels brought to the ladies? He is not here. He is risen. He is risen from the dead. Well, it is important for us as Christians. It is important for uh, our life in this life, but also in the life to come if we're to go on. But uh, can we really believe it? I mean, it's, it's important, but can we really believe it? Many in our day have a great difficulty believing that uh, someone can come back to life from the dead. Now, we always hear stories about someone dying on the table and the doctor's working on them, and they're, they're dead for, you know, five, ten minutes, and then they come back to life, and we think, oh, that's exciting. But if someone were to tell us someone had died and was dead for three days and then came back to life, we might be a little skeptical. I mean, after all, here in the 21st century, we live in an age of science, and these kinds of things don't happen so why would I say that Jesus was actually put to death on the cross, buried, and was dead for three days, and then later he actually got up out of the grave, and, and that he's alive even today? Why would I say such a thing? It makes sound crazy, but I believe that uh, when confronted with the evidence for the resurrection, one has to come to the conclusion that Jesus did come to life on the third day, and he got up out of the grave to talk with the women. And disciples, and that he lives even today seated at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us. One, I believe, that confronted with the evidence, you would conclude, too, that he was risen from the dead. I I want us to look at um, four four points as to a case for the resurrection. First of all, I want you to realize that the, the resurrection was proclaimed by first century Christians. And all Christians since that time have proclaimed it. There is no question that they believe that Jesus was actually dead and that he came back to life from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching a sermon on the day of Pentecost. This is only uh, some uh, 50 days after the death of Jesus and after the resurrection. And Peter is preaching a sermon there in Jerusalem where it happened. And as he's preaching, he says, You know what? quotes from the Psalms talking about you you will not abandon my bones to the grave. And he says, you know, David wrote that. We've got David's bones right here. He died and he's still dead. He says he was writing about Jesus. He was writing about Jesus. And while we have the bones of David who died, we don't have the bones of Jesus who died because he is no longer dead. He is raised again from the dead. Paul and 1 Corinthians 15 was writing some 15 to 20 years after the crucifixion. And he says, Indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, some would say, Well, you know, people were very gullible in those days. They would believe things like that. We know better in our day. (laughs) I want you to know people were skeptical in those days just as skeptical as we are today. You remember when the women came back telling the disciples, you know, we've seen these angels and they said he's risen. The tomb is empty. They said he's risen. What were the disciples' first response? Well, maybe you got the wrong tomb. Let us run and see ourselves. You know how women are. That's the way that we think. They weren't allowed to be witnesses in courtroom setting in those days because they might sensationalize something like this and so, so they had to run and see for themselves they were skeptical they didn't believe that people got up from the dead you remember that after Jesus meets with them that night uh, all the disciples are there except for Thomas and they go to Thomas and tell him to, later they say Thomas we saw Jesus he's risen from the dead and he said that can't happen I don't believe that he says, I won't believe it until my fingers touch the holes in his hands and I can put my hand in his side with a spear in Then I will believe it. Was he so gullible as to believe such a thing? He says, no, they were as skeptical as, as we might be in our day and age. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching to those in Athens at the Areopagus and they're listening and they're, they're liking what they're hearing is some new philosophy they can discuss and they're following, tracking right along with him with a great deal of interest until he gets to the point where he says God raised him from the dead. And when he said that, they all go this guy's crazy. I'm not listening to him anymore. Dead people don't come back to life. You see, they weren't is gullible as some might think. They didn't believe in a physical resurrection either, and yet the first century Christians said, yes, he has. Yes, he has risen from the dead. Physically risen from the dead. So that's the first thing. First century Christians and Christians ever since have said, yes, he has risen from the dead, not because we're gullible. No. We may even be a little skeptical look at. It. You say, yeah, he must have. Secondly, not only because the first century of Christians and all Christians since that time have proclaimed it, secondly, because of the many uh, witnesses of the resurrection of the body. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. He says, you know, he, he appeared to Peter and to all the apostles and at one time, Peter Paul says, he even appeared to 500 people at one time. And then Paul says this. He says, you may be skeptical about this. You may not believe that dead people come back to life after three days. But if you are skeptical about it, you know, these 500 people that saw him, some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. If you don't believe it, you can go ask them. You can go ask them. Over 500 people saw our resurrected Lord. And you know what? Even though many of them went to their deaths proclaiming that he had risen from the dead. And even though there were that many of them, there's absolutely no record of even one person ever who saw Jesus resurrected. There's no record of even one person ever saying, no, it was was fake. I, I just made it up. Many of them going to their deaths still proclaiming that he was risen from the dead. And so we see the first century Christians and Christians ever since proclaiming it, the, the 500 more eyewitnesses to it. Third, it's an interesting thing that these disciples would follow Jesus for three years. He had been their life. He had been the one that they thought was going to come as the Messiah. They were following him. They were excited to follow him. They loved him and, and desired to have him on the throne And then they see him put to death on a Roman cross. And their attitudes now changed. Their attitudes of knowing that those who put Jesus to death are now after them, looking for them, saying we're going to get them too because they're crazy and they might cause a problem. So their joy about the Messiah coming now is is turned to great sorrow and mourning like the women. It turned to sorrow. Jesus is Ah we saw him put to death in such a gruesome way. That was an awful thing. And so for these three days, they're sorrowful and they're fearful and in hiding. And then when Jesus appears to them, their sorrow and their fear is completely turned around. Now, many of us, when our loved ones die, we, we mourn. Days, weeks, months, sometimes years, we mourn the loss of our loved ones. They were mourning for three days, and it immediately changed into joy. They were fearful of those who put Jesus to death. Immediately, it changed to boldness. What in the world could make such an immediate change if they hadn't actually seen him come back to life? And so we see first century uh, Christians and all Christians sense have proclaimed a physical resurrection, that over 500 witnesses who, who saw him come back to life. Thirdly, the disciples' a sorrow so quickly turned to joy. Fourth is the empty tomb an empty tomb. Um, obviously, early Christians were claiming that Jesus was no longer dead, that he'd come back to life. All that the Jewish officials who didn't want this word to go out, all that they would have to do is produce the body of Jesus, right? They say, hey, He's not dead. Look, here he is right here. But that's not what they did. In fact, on that resurrection morning, when the guards go to the religious leaders and say, you know what, something something strange happened, and Jesus isn't there anymore. What were they told to do? What were they told to do? They were told to say, you know what? Jesus' disciples came and stole his body away while we slept. Now, you you know how well that will hold up in court, right? The the, uh, guards sitting there and say, well, what happened to the body of Jesus? Well, his disciples came and stole their body. Why didn't you stop them? I mean, that's what you were there to do, is to prevent that sort of thing from happening. Why didn't you stop them? Well, because we were asleep. Okay. Well, first of all, that's a death sentence to you. But secondly, how do you know it was the disciples that stole the body if you were sleeping? You're giving me a testimony about something that happened that you witnessed while you were asleep. How does that work? How does it work for you men who, Get in trouble with your wife for the way that you acted in her dream last night. That's no good. It won't hold up in a court of law. And this wouldn't hold up in a court of law either. No, the disciples came and stole his body while we were asleep. That doesn't work. So others have come up with other ideas as to how this, how this uh, uh, tomb became empty. In 1907, uh, someone named Chrisop Lake suggested that the women went to the wrong tomb. (laughs) They went to the wrong tomb. Now, that's that's interesting. If there was any question, they would have stopped and asked directions, right? That's the way the women were. If the women went to the wrong tomb, then you have to ask the question, were the uh, guards guarding the wrong tomb? If the women went to the wrong tomb, were the guards guarding the wrong one? Did the disciples also go to the wrong tomb? And if they went to the wrong tomb, when it, this information about Jesus coming back from the dead, physically raised from the dead, why? And, and it was the wrong tomb that they went to, why didn't the Jews just stop it automatically by saying, you went to the wrong tomb, let's take you to the right tomb, and you'll see that his body's still there. No, that won't work. The women didn't go to the wrong tomb. In the 18th century, there was uh, another theory put out there as to why the tomb was empty or what might have happened. It's called the swoon theory. Maybe you've heard about that. That Jesus, after undergoing the 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 lashes uh, and uh, having such physical pain that he couldn't even carry the cross to the place that he would be crucified, and then being taken on the cross, nails driven into his hands and into his feet, and then when the the, uh, Roman soldiers saw that he was dead, having a spear shoved in his side up into the the sack around the heart, now comes blood and water that he... After all of that, they take him off the cross, put him in the tomb, and it's cool in there, and in that environment, he swooned. And he came back to life. And he got up, pushed the stone out of the way, and he walked out, and that's how he met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, after having those nails driven in his feet. And he walked the seven miles on the road to Emmaus with them after all that. It's not making a lot of sense either. That won't do as an explanation for an empty tomb. Still others, more recently, have suggested that, uh, well, yeah, they had an idea of him being raised from the dead, but their idea of him being raised from the dead wasn't really a literal, physical being raised from the dead, but it's a spiritual resurrection, and Jesus is alive, and he's alive living in my heart. That's how I know he's alive, because he lives in my heart, and that's it. That won't do either, will That still doesn't explain an empty tomb. Doesn't explain eyewitnesses. Doesn't explain Thomas being told, Come, put your finger here. Put your hand here. It doesn't explain how Jesus would eat with his disciples. Doesn't explain how Jesus told Mary, Don't hold on to me. No theory has ever been put forward to be able to explain what happened to Jesus' body. Although many have tried. And... uh, the 19th century, there was a British lawyer named Frank Morrison. Frank Morrison decided he was going to get rid of all of this nonsense about Christianity once and forever, and so he was going to take his lawyer's mind and put it to the whole case for Christianity. And he figured what he had to do was simply figure out what happened on that Resurrection Sunday, and, and you know, these things don't happen, so it should be easy with a lawyer's mind to be able to figure this out. And when I get it figured out, and I don't want people to be deceived by this Christianity anymore, I will write the book that will totally disprove it." So he applies his lawyer's mind to it, and the more he studied, the more he found that from a legal perspective, the case is there for a resurrection and nothing else. The book that he started out to write, he said, it refused to be written. Instead, he went on and he wrote another book entitled, Who Moved the Stone? Affirming the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from a lawyer's perspective. I believe for these reasons and for others that we could go into, one must conclude that the overwhelming evidence is that the angels told the truth to these women You don't see his body here. He's not here. He is risen, even as he said. Well, we see the importance of the resurrection. If it's not true, then vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But we see a case for resurrection that it indeed is true. Jesus did physically get up out of the grave and walk around. Thirdly, the results of the resurrection. Uh, PCA Pastor John Sartell uh, told a story about listening to Dr. Laura on the radio one time. And she was talking about counseling a couple who had come into to her uh, to talk. They were having troubles in their marriage. And one of the uh, people in the marriage, maybe uh, the man, said, uh, He didn't believe in a resurrection. And the woman said, I do believe in a resurrection. So they were having issues about this resurrection and it was causing strife in their marriage and Dr. Laura's counsel to them was well you know you really need to just kind of get over it what difference does it make (laughs) you know it makes a lot of difference it makes incredible difference since Jesus is raised from the dead you know believers can know that they are forgiven of their sins each one of us has conscience. Each one of us at times feels guilty about something that we know we've done. We've looked at the law of God. We know we haven't followed it. You know that because Jesus is raised from the dead we can know that we are forgiven. In Romans 4 Paul says he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. If you've been with us long, you've heard me say it many times. What is justification? It's a legal term. Where you stand before the judge and the judge looks at you and says, you're not guilty. But not only are you not guilty, you are just. (laughs) Can you imagine God looking at you and calling you just? Wait a minute, I, I remember what I did this week. You know, because Jesus died for our sins and he was raised again for our justification. God has taken his work and applied it to our account. Because of the resurrection, we can know that we are justified. We are forgiven of our sins. The Father has been satisfied with the atonement rendered by Christ for our sins and he's raised him from the dead. So, results of the resurrection, we are justified. Secondly, um, we can know because of the resurrection that we have a Savior who lives forever and He is interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. You ever think about that? You ask people quite often, pray for me. I got this thing that's going on or pray for me. This circumstance that happened, it, it hurts so much, please pray for me. And then you get the encouragement, I've been praying for you, how are you doing? And you get some encouragement with that. You realize, don't you, that Jesus, the King who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, He is right now seated at the right hand of God. And you know what He's doing there? He's praying for you. He is interceding for you. We read uh, from Hebrews, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Christ, the Lord, the King of the universe, is interceding for you. (laughs) Well, results is we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we have a Redeemer seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. Thirdly, Um, We know that because he was raised to life, if we're in him, we too will be raised to life. And that the aches and pains of this life and this body that is failing here in this world, it's going to have a glorious body. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, the great resurrection chapter. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive. He goes on and says but someone may ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come You foolish when you sow uh, what you sow does uh, not come to life unless it dies and when you sow you do not plant the body that will be but a, a seed perhaps of wheat or something else but, get, but God gives it its... A body as he is determined to each kind of seed he gives its own body all flesh is not the same men have one kind of flesh and animals another and birds another and then he goes on a little bit later he said so it will be with the resurrection of the dead it is sown in weakness it is raised in power you feel weak <laughs> when christ returns Since he is resurrected, we too will have a resurrection body. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. He said it is uh, sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. Don't you hate it when you get something and after a few years it's perished, it's gone? Maybe a car or something, my car is torn up in such a short time. Or maybe you think this body is perishing in such a short time. Raised imperishable. No longer do you have these problems. It is sown in dishonor. He says, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Then he goes on a little bit further in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality... When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning... I want to know, are, are you glad for the truth of the angels' words that first resurrection morning where he said, he is not here, he is risen? <laughs> That's the greatest news that you could ever hear. Such wonderful words for the believer in Jesus Christ. And so the question for us this morning is, are you a believer? Do you believe? How do you respond to the resurrection of Jesus Those first century Christians, when they saw the resurrected Lord, it absolutely changed their life forever. Having met the resurrected Lord, their lives were committed to Him from that point on, and for many of them it meant persecution and even death, and yet they go on rejoicing that they have met the risen Lord. If you've truly met the risen Lord, then I want to suggest that it will radically change your life as well. You can't go on living the same way. You can't go on uh, just looking at the world and what it, it has to offer, but realize that we have been risen together with Him. If you've never met the risen Lord, then this morning... I would ask you to pray that the, that the Spirit of our Savior would introduce you and give you the joy of knowing the Risen One who will truly radically transform, change your life. If you truly know Him, and go from this place rejoicing. Go from this place rejoicing with the radically changed life that it means to meet a risen Lord. Let's pray together.